met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee. Uh, for tonight, um, <laughs> you know, I've been looking for this for looking for this for a long time. Um, but this gentleman, his YouTube channel is is something else, really. Um, especially for your true history. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome um, the host of Crack uh, and Ford, uh, John. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thanks, mate. Finally. Right, yes, it's taken a while. It's taken a while. Yeah, it's taken a while. Um, John, your YouTube channel, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it is um, it's outstanding. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, all I'm trying to do is just teach what, well, history, really, or, or, the, or the history of mythology. So, um, yeah. Because a lot of people find it interesting, and a lot of people don't realise it's interesting until they start listening to it. That makes sense. It's sort of a, a channel you don't know you want to watch until you start watching it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, it's like like I just said to you before, uh, like growing up. I know you're like it, other end of country than me, but um, I'm sure your schooling might have been similar to what mine was, which is would have been not the best. Um, I mean, history, I think the oldest, the, the furthest we went back was like uh, probably Middle Ages, even if that. Okay. Well, I, I did do a bit of, of ancient Egypt and like the Stone Age, but you, you, know, you never put it in context to work out when it really happened. I mean, um, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's it. And then when you actually get to history at a, a GCSE level, they tend to focus on things like political history, you know, post Neapolitic, uh, the, the, yeah, the Neapolitic Wars and uh, the Corn Laws and all that in Gladstone. And it isn't really the stuff that I find interesting. It seems like you find interesting either. I much no, prefer no. to understand how the more ancient cultures um, lived and, and believed. And, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, especially right now, and you find out, you find out bit by bit that how much has been hidden from us? Yeah, well, I, I don't think much has been hidden. Unless you're talking religious history, then then there's a fair amount been hidden. But but general history, I don't think much has been hidden. It's just that there aren't that many people ready to talk about it in a, a detailed way publicly. I mean, yeah. academia yeah, is yeah. it's a funny old world, and you know, some people like to hold on to what they've learnt in a way. 
you know, yeah. to, to make them feel special in their, their field. Um, but very few fields, although slightly, slowly changing, are, are willing to go to, onto public forums and talk openly and, and try and teach people. Yeah, yeah, nice, mate, nice. Uh, I mean, b- before we go into um, today's topic I'd like to speak about, have you, are you familiar with um, the Book of Invasions? I am not. Give some context over that book. Right, okay. An author or a, or a time period. I mean, because there's, there's many books and there's probably a few books called the Books of Invasion. So what's that relating to? Yeah, um, relating to the Fomorians, to, to Arthur Dedenham. Oh, so you're talking, oh, regarding the, uh, the Celtic mythology cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, okay, yes. If you, if you, yeah, do I know about the Celtic mythology? Not as much as I would like to know, um, but I know a, a little bit about it, yeah. It's uh, fascinating. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, and, it, and it's what I guess, yes, it's interesting. So th- this is an example, sort of what you're, you just mentioned about, about not being taught things. This yeah. is, and this is one of the, this is a prime example why this happens is because this mythological cycle is been written by Christians based on stories told by Indo Europeans based on stories that were probably from Neolithic farmers. And so, because you have this layering of cultural uh, identity and stories piling up, you actually find that, you know, unless you know how to look at the text and read, what's going on in it, you you just do not see that archaeology of literature within those stories. Yeah, I get it. And it right, yeah. isn't because isn't, isn't it's secret, it's just that it's, it's hard to uh, uncover that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I love all like that, it was brilliant. Yeah, but today, mate, mm-hmm. could we... Um, speak about dragons we can talk about dragons very topical at the moment there's a, apparently there's a tv show about dragons on the telly at the moment which is called have you watched it yeah house of dragon uh, i've watched a couple of episodes i was really frustrated how game of thrones ended um, oh i was gutted about that mate yeah so uh but yeah, yeah i've given it a go it's um it's it's okay i don't watch much television but uh yeah yeah, it's okay. You know, it's just it's a story, and uh, yeah. George R. R. Martin has obviously done a lot of research on mythology. Um, yeah, and he, and he mixes it up, and that keeps the show quite fresh. You know, takes yeah. the best bits from different different cultures and and the past. So, what would you like to know about dragons? Well, I mean, you read about. Um... Like the, the old entire like dragon law, like um, okay, has not been such as, as a good thing. Like, um, like serpentry type, um, you know, you know, like, that, like um, yeah. So, 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 what the dragon represents? Okay, but and then see the right. So, we have to probably the first thing I would tell anybody wanting to understand mythology is that well sort of hinted at these layers almost like, almost like archaeological layers of literature in know each other what you find is that when we talk about something like dragons we have to be quite specific about what period of time and when because these motifs change throughout time and location 
So the dragon of Middle Age England is very different to the dragon of Indo-European Europe a few thousand years before that, which is very different to the dragon of the Near East a few thousand years before that, which is very different to the dragon in Australia or China or, or South Africa. So it's very hard to give a broad brush approach and unless you have a particular thing, but I can tell you there's some key motifs that always happen with dragons and that dragons tend to be snake-like generally, uh, tend to be aggressive uh, and they tend to hold a, a somewhat mysterious way about them and part of that is not only because they're legless and so look weird and they're you know, to, to humans and they're dangerous so that they were man's well man, mammals so, so after the dinosaurs died out uh, the two things that sort of came from that were reptiles and mammals the, the, the big ones and uh, mammals biggest enemy pretty much was the snake so we right. have developed over millions and millions of years this sense of be very wary of snakes and there's some psychology psychology done on that you know even children can spot a snake even when they're not looking at it for it if you know if they're walking through let's say a field or something that you, yeah. your consciousness is very aware um like all like, your subconscious i guess you call it um and your peripheral vision is very much aware to look for snakes even now um because they were an enemy so you have this this creature we're naturally scared of that looks a bit strange uh, but also does a few strange things. One of, the, one of the things people don't really talk about so much is um, it sheds its skin. And that's a really important motif for certain beliefs. So uh, one of the key longest or oldest beliefs we have around death is referring to the, shape, uh, to the snake shedding its skin. And that is because it's considered to be reborn after it sheds its skin. Okay, right. so, so in effect, so it's considered immortal in a way and we actually there are therefore human cultures and and stories that came from that that when you die you shed your skin and come back as a new person so if those who believe in reincarnation this happens to them but because yeah. you've shed your skin and you've got a new skin no one recognizes you that's why you don't recognize people who've been reborn if you believed in reincarnation yeah, but yeah so, so they're, they're really an interesting creature so they're, they're a real psychological effect on certainly our ancestors who encountered them on a d daily basis um you know we, we can't really appreciate today sitting in our in our, in our houses you know away from these sort of things perhaps unless you live in australia where everything's out to eat you but but generally for the rest of the world yeah we, we, we're so detached from it we, we, we forget about these things but yeah. as i say i mean you, you, you even now you would be able to subconsciously spot a snake if, if it was sort of in your peripheral vision without realizing it you know and and you'll focus on that and because it's dangerous and important you'll actually imagine it bigger than it is yeah and it's I mean, like yeah it, 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 interesting you saying that because like it, like you said if you was in australia or like in certain parts of america where there are snakes you would be looking out from <laughs> no doubt yeah you should be far more aware of them yeah certainly about <laughs> yeah yeah but I say it's just it's just because there's millions of years of this built in. We have this thing with the snake. You know, it, it was our, you know, it was, it was a different kind of enemy to a, to the lion or the bear, you know, which yeah. are big in that. But you know, and it was just because of that. It, yeah, it just had a special place in our motifs, and it's and the stories we have of snakes go back at least, 
I would say 75,000 years, but probably about 130,000 years. That's what the academia states, you know, it's statistically right. probable. So um, I can tell you the story of the first or the dragon myth then, uh, going back oh, that long. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, well, not it, we haven't got the story, but we've got the motifs. So this all starts in South Africa, where we see the first story of a dragon. And this came about because in the middle of the 19th century, some explorers going through South Africa with a guide found some paintings on the walls of rocks and caves near, near some rivers in South Africa. And they asked the guide what they were. And the guide explained to them that it was a dragon. Well, he actually called it sort of like a, a snake. But in effect, it was inferring by its description that it was a dragon. Even, even though it was a quadruped, there was this quadruped shape, although there were some snake shapes as well. And he said this scene was all happening underwater. And there you saw, he said that he had, they saw pictures of their ancestors dancing underwater, doing a, a sort of, I don't know, you imagine like a crazed dance. Yeah, and people clapping. This was all meant to be underwater, this happening. Right. And also there were people um, cutting this dragon figure. Uh, and I don't know if they're ritual, ritualistic cuts or, or not. But also what was really strange was that many of the people and the animal occasionally ha was having nosebleeds because you see nose, their nose ble bleeding. Um, and this isn't just in one picture. This is in multiple pictures in, in multiple areas in South Africa. We're seeing this yeah. motif. And you say it seems to date back, well, we'll say, we say like pre-out of Africa migration, which I'll, I'll put a note there because people say the out of Africa Migration theory is debunked. Um, right. So, but it, it isn't. So, what the the out of Africa theory was that all human DNA came from out for Homo sapiens came out of Africa in a migration, uh, and we know that not to be true now because we know we mixed with the Denisovans and the Neanderthals and alike, uh, and already Homo sapiens who had left Africa, but there is still a significant migration out of Africa that had a significant influence on human DNA at 65, 70,000 years ago. Okay, and, now, and those people brought out, because they were quite influential in their DNA and their culture, uh, and, and it, was, it was them that spread pretty much across the world and sort of mixed and took over the other sort of hominid populations uh, that their stories stayed. So, so that South African motif of this, this dragon flowed out of Africa about 65,000 years ago. And we see it then go off to eastwards into Southeast Asia and China. Uh, and there it floats around for a bit. And the next time we sort of see the myth change, it looks like uh, it's come back to the Near East. Okay. And, and there it sort of ferments for years and years. So, so from about sort of just before the pre-glacial maximum of the last ice age of 25,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, it then uh, migrates. But during that time, it also, uh, around 15,000 years ago, starts heading into Oceania towards Australia, and it gets to Australia about 10,000 years ago. And at the same time, we then see traces of it appearing. And by that, I mean, we see the people who would be taking it, migrating into Mesoamerica, so Central America, I think of it, and, and like the top of South America, and the myth goes there. And that's, that's the basic idea of where that original South African myth then travelled. But as it travels, it changes. 
obviously because myths are very much like human DNA. Um, you know, you can solve with yourself, but as time goes on and, and you have children and they have children and they have children, you know, distort, you know the DNA sl slowly changes. And this is how myths, myths really sort of change in the same, almost at the same speed, you could argue. Um, and so what happens we see in China, well, so the South African snake, uh, we, the, the, it was called the rain snake. And the idea there the was rain the, the rain snake, yes. And the idea there was that by, it's, it's, it feels like by killing the snake, it, the rains would come. And rains were important because rains allow plants to flourish and animals to survive. You need, you know, it's a very basic yeah. element. So, so the, the, the snake was very firmly associated with rain and water because this was an underwater scene, they're like underpaintings. So by the time we get to China, um, you, we see stories and myths, and some of them still exist, where the dragons live um, across a very dry land and they want to give it water. So they take water from the sea and spray it across the land. And this upsets the sort of the main deity of the, the land. And the main deity land then throws mountains on top of these dragons to stop them spraying water over the land. Uh, but because those dragons had so much water in them, they spat the water out when they were stuck under the mountains, and that creates the main rivers of China. So again, right. it's a real uh, motif there of dragons and water again, and this time these were good dragons, and they were making the land fertile. But then, the, the, then that myth, as I say, it, it travels into Near East, but it also travels eventually to Australia. In Australia, you have the Rainbow Serpent. And the rainbow serpent, rainbow that is, serpent. yeah, the serpent, yeah, is, is um, again a good serpent who lives under a dry land and then one day comes out and and makes it rain for for days and weeks and months and years and years and years and makes the land fertile and then wakes up all the creatures and let them use the land, but then says to humans, if you ever abuse this, I'll come back and wipe you off the face of the earth. So it's a good dragon, but you know, passively aggressive. Um, and, but then when we get to the Near East version of stories, that's when things really change. And that's when we see, you've got, you've got the Indic Vitra, uh, who is seen as controlling water. Uh, and that's right. fought by storm gods to, to, so storm god fights Vitra and it rains. And we also see that uh, it then goes into Near Eastern mythology where you get Marduk fighting Tiamat and Tiamat is a water serpent and by killing the water serpent he can create the world and then that flows into Indo-European myth which is all about dragons stealing cattle before it evolves into the more middle-aged myth of a, killing a dragon to rescue a princess. That's all explained. So what you find is that the dragon of the very first myths are almost themselves considered storm gods because they control water and they can manage all that water. But yeah. then myth reflexes, we call it. So, so it changes and you often see this in neighboring cultures where they're not in agreement that they reflex a myth, they change it. We see this all in many different myths in many different religions. And so the storm god dragon of good becomes the dragon of bad and a storm god is created separately that then kills the dragon. And then what you find is that when the storm god kills the dragon, he's then elevated to be the head of the pantheon of the gods. And that was pretty much a motif throughout Europe and, and India and the Near East. 
for and, and, and yeah for probably about five six thousand years that they maintained it. Interesting that. So yeah, so that's the history of of the dragon. So I mean, we can talk about why rescuing cows turned into rescuing princesses. We can talk about far where the far beam came from. Yeah. Talk about. <laughs> Yeah, anything you want on on that respect, or or any other reflexes or changes, or so. Or, or, but all these links are together. But this is certainly one of the earliest myths we are or motifs we're aware of, which turning you know, which had stories around it. Yeah. Because because it still influences our lives today. We still hear about this. I mean, the and there are some people who disagree, but Yahweh, so the Abrahamic God, most of the world. Or, yeah the most popular god in the world, I guess, he was a storm god and he kills a dragon in the Bible. Although, again, unless you know what you're looking for, you don't really see this. Uh, but, yeah, but we also see it. We see Thor in Norse mythology, killing the human gander. We've got, as I say, um, Marduk from the Near East, killing Tiamat. We have Indra killing Vitra. It's a really common thing. It's interesting, isn't it? How, um, do, do, do you know what else? is? Like flags. Flags. Flags so, with dragons. Dragons on. Oh, it's because they're considered a powerful creature. I mean, you must like flags with lions on or unicorns and and all. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just uh, one of the, yeah. It's just uh, people want to be associated with powerful mystical creatures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's the Welsh flag. Yep, the old red dragon. So that used yeah. to be. The British dragon before the Saxons came over with, well, Jews really, but um, the tribes come over and, and kicked us out after the Romans left and they brought their white dragon with them. Yeah, I was uh, just going to say then a white dragon. Yes. Well. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so the Britons, um, sometimes called Celts or sometimes called the Welsh, depending on the translations you read, then get moved off to the West Country and Wales and yeah, then the Saxons remain here. And colonised Britain. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, do, do, you know, do you know about like like the, the dragon uh, symbolism from like the Scythians as well? Do you think that that possibly could have been brought over here? Oh, I mean, not necessarily directly. I mean, but the motif is strong. I mean, the mo the dragon motif. Every culture in the world pretty much has a dragon story so right. the, the dragon story would have come here and it's, it's just how it's evolved I mean, and it's how it changes due to environmental conditions and cultural traditions so yes. for example the dragon was in control of water as, as i said and it's really that's really big in the near east and then that peaked when we started to farm so we're agricultural farming so when that happened post younger Jurassic period, so about twelve thousand years ago to ten thousand years ago, we started to be an agricultural um, culture. Certainly, certainly in, in the Near East and and Europe and going into Persia, water was important. And so, the, what is the best thing you could get if you killed a dragon? The most important thing, water. So so that that really. But then we learned to farm cows. We had pastoral farming, and that's one of the major things of the Indo-Europeans or the Proto-Indo-European speaking Indo-Europeans. And so the dragon stopped being killed for water, but now stole cows because cows were considered more important than water. Right. And th and then due to a bit of mistranslation and 
and some poetic license by the Greeks when they read these stories uh, in Persian and Indic texts. They translated cows, which were written down as women who lactate or women who give milk. They assumed that meant queens and princesses. And so then, and women were more important then in, in uh, Europe at that time, rather than cows. And so the story goes, but you're now killing dragons with a knight to rescue a princess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a story of rescuing cows from a, a, a dragon by, by a warrior, which comes from killing a storm god, killing a dragon, get water. And so what you also see there, you start seeing in the Indic or, or the Rig Veda, so, so that, that part of history, is that you slowly see the, the storm god killing the dragon gets changed to a warrior who has to sacrifice to a storm god to kill the dragon. Right. Uh, that becomes an important part of the, of the change between the, sort of the Indic cultures and Indo-Europeans. You start seeing that more and more. And so in Indo-European cultures, you then get the, the, the knight in shining armour, this warrior. becomes important. Um, for example, the Arthurian legends. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. or Saint George and the Dragon, or, or any anything. But you see, you'll see her. Well, that you say Greek quite interesting because you've got all the different flavors in there. So you you get Perseus and um, who kills? I think he kills the is it the Ethiopian sea monster? Or you certainly get Zeus killing uh, Typhon, uh, which is a, a you know, direct analogy. But then you also see the change of uh, Heracles. Um, fighting, I can't remember the, the dragon's name, but fighting a dragon to get cattle back, um, as I think we were called cattle raiding with, as well as you see a warrior fighting a dragon just to get riches. Right, right. And that, that's what yeah. I mean about this agricultural, well, not sorry, this archaeological layering of literature. Yeah, that's a really good example of that. See, so you get one myth, but in many different forms. Right. I guess it's like. It, it, is that I guess it's similar to like um how like each different civilizations are so similar. Yeah, well that this is the thing. So what people start really realizing, certainly if you watch my channel, you start realizing actually so many stories we tell seem to be linked to all the cultures across the world or, or many cultures across the world. Yeah. And that's how we sort of you know, you you may may well have the let's say the Viking stories people like, and but that, if you actually look, that goes into European stories, and they sort of stem from Greece and Rome. And you realise actually, no, they they leverage from Indo-European stories, and Indo-European stories um, have also been in, influenced then by Neolithic farming stories. Uh, but before then, cult, we didn't really have civilizations before that point. We humans didn't stay in one place. So after that, you just get you get a different type of story, and that's quite interesting. So. I mean, we can talk about those stories if you want. So the oldest. Yes, please. Okay, so we've got the oldest complete story we know in the world. So where before I talked about the dragon going back sort of 75 to 135,000 years ago, that's just based on motifs. That's based on, oh, we know there was a dragon and we know, you know, it was evil sort of thing. But we don't have actually a story that was told. But uh, the, the story we do know that was told is something called, and I'll say this carefully, the cosmic hunt okay and the cosmic hunt is a story where and this we believe this is told 40,000 years ago and i'll explain why which is very, really quite interesting is about a group of hunters hunter gatherers chasing a elk or a stag or an, an animal with antlers 
And as they chase it, it, the animal catches the sun in its antlers and runs off with the sun. Uh, and obviously the hunters are worried that one, they want something to eat, but two, if it takes the sun away, it'll be dark forever. I mean, and and as they hunt, it goes from day to night and you know, night to day and the seasons go through and then eventually it's getting darker and darker and, and the deer is running away. And then they manage to kill the, the deer, let's say, and it lands on the ground and it releases the sun and then the days get longer and longer. And in effect, you, what you've got there is a hunting story, which would have been one of the key types of stories told by hunter-gatherers, uh, but you also have yeah. a story uh, aligned to the seasons and the lengths of days and nights as a way of trying to explain it. Um, but how do we know this story is, let's say, 40,000 years old? Well, the story I've just told you, sort of the elk or the uh, deer story, comes from Europe because elk and deer and Europe, Europe, I think, had antlered elk at the time. Um, they had those at that time, so that was a European story. But that story is also told, we see it told in Siberia. But in Siberia, the elk do not have antlers. So they picked a different animal, and they picked a mammoth. And the mammoth caught the sun in its tusks. And, and rather than they kill it, the mammoth hides in underwater uh, over winter and then comes out after winter and, and things get brighter again. And then in North America, we see this. And there, the it's a bear and the bears grabbed it. So, so the, the myths changed quite a bit. And when they kill the bear in the autumn, the bear sprays blood all over the land. And that's why all the trees' leaves turn red and brown, because that's the, uh -huh. that's the blood of the bear. Now, there's a few things I've said there which makes you think, oh, that's that's odd mammoths and uh, North America. So if, if you're if you're paying attention for for the myth to know about mammoths and to be told in North America, it must have travelled there when there was a land bridge between yeah. Siberia and North America. So that's let's say fifteen thousand years old. You know, at, at, at the earliest or latest, I'll say earliest, it's maybe near eighteen thousand years. Let's say we've got these the mammoths in Siberia must have been quite common, so that sort of ties in with that. But there is a similar theme in most of these myths, which was when the animal was killed or at the winter time, the the animal sort of laid on the ground or was hidden under water. And the reason we know all the this myth is told by the Inuits in America and and First Nation Americans and alike in, all the way through Europe is because when they tell the story, they don't actually tell it about people. They tell it about stars in the sky and they tell it about the constellation we call uh, Ursa Major or the Big Dipper or the Great Bear, but the, maybe for the plough, you may be familiar with that. Yeah. And um, so it's really unusual that the same people in Europe would use the same stars for the story as people in North America, because constellations weren't known about back then. And the reason we know it'd be they use the same stars uh, is that they reference particular stars in the story as doing particular things. And there's a star within the arm of the plough, or the big dipper, that actually has a second star behind it, which is really difficult to see, certainly with the naked eye. And right. that is often taught, being told to being represent, representing a hunter's dog 
or pots and pans to cook in the story. And we, so, so we see this, that they're using the same stars and the, star, and the same stars have the same purpose in the myth. So it's, it's more than a archetype or a Jungian theory. This myth must, must have traveled. But what makes it interesting is that if they're talking about the plow, like Ursa Major, as the constellation for this story, then why does the, the animal die at the end, go underground? Because, you know, if you look at in the night sky, Ursa Major is, is high up there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you get some astronomical software that allows you to go back in time and go back in time 40,000 years, Ursa Major in winter touched the horizon because of the way the Earth moves, you know, and transits and and orbits change. Right. And so that's sort of pretty much whilst we can't be one hundred percent sure, but we yeah, we we've got a very high degree of probability, statistical probability that is probably what has gone on. That and, and so for Ursa Major to touch the ground which aligns with the story and the same stars using the story for exactly the same things. It's just, um, yeah, and that's why I know that is the oldest story we've told. That, that is, um, it's crazy that, mate, isn't it? It is, and how people can piece yeah. these things together to to show that it isn't just something made up or just a thought. You know, that there's too much coincidence going on for it to be just an idea. Yeah, um, coincidence, um, coincidence. Exactly. And we, we have that. So the other thing very similar to this is the idea that many religions, so from Hinduism in India to the Viking Old Norse religion to the Greek religions and Roman religions to even the Abrahamic religions and Zoroastrianism, they all stem from the same one religion. And a lot of people, again, don't understand how we know that or can't prove that. So they say, oh, no, they, you know, it's just a Jungian theory, another archetype that we all believe the same kind of creation myth. You know, we all, we all have that. And, and the, the creation myth we have in these religions is very much a, there, there were twins born. Um, and in the original myth, it would have been Manu and Jimo, Manu meaning man and Jimo meaning twin, uh, and a giant cow, because it's an Indo-European story. And Manu sacrifices Jimo to build the world. And Manu comes down to the world as a priest to teach the, the people how to put the world in order. That's a, a real synopsis. There's, there's more detail we can go into if you want. And, but if you look, you've got sort of twin figures in, in the Mesopotamian myth. You've got twin figures in the Roman myth. You've got twin figures in the Norse myth. And hidden under the Zoroastrian text, you can see these twin figures. And many people say to me, oh, yeah, John, but it's just twin figures. It could just be a common thought. You know, how do you know that is actually that one myth that's travelled? And the, the, the thing here is that, as I say, in the Indo-European myth, we see his name's Manu. In Tacitus's writings on Germania, he talks about the religion. And guess who's the main man in their religion? Manu. And, um, and, oh. they, got, and they got Emir, which is cognate with Yimo in the Norse religion. And then you've got Manu and Yima, uh, Manus and Yima in uh, Persia, Manu and Yima, um, Yama in Indic. So basically, the, the twin think both of might be the same, but then why would you call the main characters exactly the same name as well in all those myths? Yeah, yeah. That is more than coincidence. Then that just shows 
the myth come from a single source. And if that is the case, not one not only is the is a, there's an underlying principle that humans are storytellers, and we you know we all come from the same sort of stories and go going back and back in time, but also that all religion is just man-made storytelling. Yeah. It's uh, like, like you said, John, coincidence. Well, it's more than coincidence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It isn't coincidence. You know, it's, um, that's the whole point. I mean, coincidences are conceived by those with religious needs. Yeah, yeah. There's a clear evolution of an idea and motifs of myths. You know, many myths, not just this creation myth of of religious thought, but again, the the dragon myth or the flood myth. There, there are many myth types we have. Um, you know, I, could, I could tell you myths about dogs or the other world or or the or even things like the fairy man of the dead. And I can show you that they've come from tens of thousands of years old and, so, and migrated. Sorry, John. Did you mm-hmm. did you say the fairy man of the dead? The fairy man of the dead. Do you know the the Often known in Greek uh, as as uh, it's Geron uh, or Shaharon or Shawon, which may, depending you pronounce different ways. You know, the guy in a in a in a little wooden boat with a punt in a black cloak. You've got to pay the ferryman. That oh, chap, the ferryman, yeah. The ferryman, him. So he he is over twenty thousand years old. Right, right. And and for the same reason that we so there's a brilliant story in well, there's a story in uh, Greek about uh, i think it's dipius uh, and he loses his wife so i think it's dipius is i think it's him uh who, he's the guy who can literally play music so beautiful that everybody sort of loves him well he loses his wife to a snake bite and she dies and he's obviously quite sad and he wants to get her back so he goes into hell and he plays his little lyre or lute or whatever he's, he's playing and he plays it for him and says oh let me go and see uh, my wife's body and the fairy man says oh you play so well I'll take you and then he, he plays it to the head of hell so maybe Hades at the time Hades. and and Hades says okay you can take your wife back but on one condition that you don't look back when, as you leave to see if she's behind you and he goes okay so he starts leaving hell uh, and he gets just gets back to the exit of hell and he looks around to see if his wife there and he just sees his wife disappearing in the back because he looked turned around and he goes back to the world and he's heartbroken okay so there we have a man loses his wife to a snake bite goes to hell doesn't get her fails and that again you could say well that could be a random myth but they tell exactly the same myth pretty much in north america in the first nation tribes there of a a warrior who loses his wife to a snake bite and he goes to hell to try and get her and fails bring, and to bring her back. That's very interesting. It's just, yeah. Especially when, um, like the, the Native American, their um, myths go back um, quite a bit as well. About 20,000 years. 20,000 years. Yeah, well, it would be the last glacial maximum or they'll certainly younger drafts there's about four migrations i'm aware of that happened i mean there, there are people saying oh we, we may arrive there earlier but i've yet to see evidence that convinces me 
Um, then there was some uh, a little bit a while ago, but I believe the site they excavated to try and date something to so about 35,000 years. That site was quite contaminated, and and so it's you know to date things if you date it within the soil that's around the item, which is how some people yeah. do it. But that soil has been overturned or mixed about then it reduces the probability that your data will be accurate and this is what happened in some of those samples so we do have to be careful um, although it wouldn't surprise me if we, we got to america i would say 40,000 years ago that would just about be in the time scale because we got to australia about 60,000 years ago which means we, we um would have got you know and we went to china you know china was about uh 60,000 years ago if it, um there is about so if, if you're in those locations then getting to the americas is more probable uh yeah because of the land bridge uh, well yeah one if there was a land bridge although there wasn't a land bridge sixty thousand years ago but you know we do have evidence of hominids uh pre-homo sapien living on islands that will have always been islands right. and so whether by accident or choice there must have been some knowledge of being able to float on the sea and so perhaps some people did go to to north america um, but yeah what it wasn't certainly a significant population if they did much like right. the populations of hominids uh pre seventy thousand years ago in europe there were you know neanderthals were reasonably populous um although you know you're still talking maybe less than fifty thousand pairs of of active neanderthals you know at some points because they're having a tough time you know he's very lucky they survived as long as they did so yeah yeah especially with the the, the animals what they claim were about, well, exactly. about then well it's all and it's climate as well i mean there's some climate was kind to them sometimes it wasn't and then the arrival of homo sapiens really i think put a kibosh on things for, for a number of different reasons mm. hey, it's uh it's just like it's all fascinating isn't it it, well, it is, yeah, how it all links together. And yeah, I wish there was a way of being able to pictorialize this in a, in a simple yeah, picture to show how how people migrate and, and how stories have moved and how populations have changed. But it just, because it, it isn't black and white and isn't that, you know, people only left Africa to go to Australia and then left Africa to go to Europe. You know, things went backwards and forwards all the time. These stories, you know, go around cultures multiple times and and, and they change yeah. yeah there is there is no single right answer for, for anything yeah um all we can tell you is, is to say the most statistically probable and if you could pictorialize that that would be really an interesting chart but that would be incredibly difficult to do yeah <laughs> brilliant mate uh, i mean i've got a couple of couple of things that yeah uh, sure, sure carry on you've got when you not sort of when you started with the the snake imagery in South Africa, mm -hmm. dragon imagery being underwater, yeah, and then with um, you know we've got the the mammoths and and birds, you know, the cosmic hunt. Oh yes, being underwater as well. That's that's I thought that was, well, uh, was quite yeah, but that. that... Yeah, although I think that is just coincidence. The, you know, the mammoth is right. also because mammoths obviously use water a lot because they're big-bodied animals, much like elephants today. You know, they use water right. Right. often today. So I don't necessarily think that it means it, it could be a snake imagery there. Yeah. 
you know, I, I think that's just uh, yeah, I do think that's a coincidence. I yeah, there's no. Let me try and wreck my brains. I can't. I can't see anything. You can't think of anything that would make those aligned, right? Because they're doing different right. things. Hunter gatherers looking for food is very different to trying to get water. Yeah. And so, yeah, but we are a bit blank there. So we see the myth, say, when it hits China, we believe the myth hit China around 50, 60,000 years ago. But then the Near East is about 20,000 years ago. So we're really missing a, well, what happened in those 30,000 years? It's a huge gap like that. It is, but if you think about it, I mean, human civilization didn't really progress too much in those 30,000 years. We just carried on hunting, gathering, and went through a few mini ice ages, you know, trying to survive. It's, uh, you know, I've sat here, John. I've got like a daft smirk on my face. <laughs> I love it. It really is brilliant. Okay. It's, yeah. Do any other things you want to know about? Um, I mean, with regards to uh, um, this particular topic, what we've covered, you, you know, mate, I, I think we're good. Okay. I say, I, mean, yeah. I do have some videos diving into these these myths specifically on my YouTube channel, Quick and Fold. If people wanted to watch them, to, you had to have a deep dive into those. Yeah, That's I mean, um, what do you want to do? You want to um, wrap it up now for this, this particular topic? What I could do is when um, you let everybody know, everybody know where they can get all the that, I'll I'll get you links for these particular okay. topics, and I'll add them to the show notes. Okay, so that yes, thank you. That's pretty just good. Go. Is that all right with you? Yeah, I've got no problem with that at all. Brilliant, mate. Well, um... <laughs> sure, there's nothing else. I think I've got do another 15 minutes. If there's something you want to touch on briefly, or you, know, you ask questions like, does Atlantis exist, or uh, you know, was Jesus real? Definitely, mate. Or... Yeah, of course, yeah. You, I mean, Atlantis. Atlantis, we can talk about Atlantis, yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah. So, was Atlantis real? So, uh, if I was a betting man, I would say no. Okay, which might might, might disappoint many people. I love that. I love it. <laughs> I admire honesty. <laughs> so, uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. So, firstly, whilst, yes, sea levels rose and fell, they didn't rise and fall by sort of 100 feet overnight. Okay? They, they, they rose and fell by, you know, well, a, a maximum maybe 10 or 15 feet a year, yeah, in, in a really, really extreme moments of, of ice age, but not enough to stop any advanced civilization living in, let's say, this hypothetical world of Atlantis from escaping with all their technology and the like. Okay. So, so the fact that you know, Atlantis was washed away and, and we lost that civilization. That that can't count because the people of that civilization would have traveled elsewhere and re-established it. That's not a problem. But they didn't. Because there is no second Atlantis, is there? So unless you want to tell me otherwise, that is so and the, other, <laughs> and the the other point is that so you'll see that Plato talks about Atlantis being created nine thousand years or not before him, and you'll see I call them uh, authors such as Graham Hancock, who will say, oh, yeah, because Plato said 
this was 9,000 years before that, if you actually look at it, that's exactly when the Younger Jurassic period happened. And so it must have been the event that, you know, flooded Atlantis. And there's right. so many assumptions in that. But, but the, the most important one is that in no way would humans be able to actually keep a proper record of 9,000 years. So, you know, so if 3,000 years ago someone said something happened 9,000 years before that, the likelihood of them being right would be so astronomically low as to be, you know, absolutely inconceivable. I'm not saying it's, it, it, it's impossible, but there is no evidence that that has been achieved for even 10% of that time accurately within those years. I mean, the, the, in Egypt, you had, a, yeah, there are certain lists and things, but again, they still are are flexible in, the, in those lists so that there's a king of is it the king of kings list or something uh, in in egypt but some they they have pharaohs that have lived hundreds of years so the list is only really good for telling you the sequence of pharaohs rather than actually the years they happened and we have to use archaeology to put in the proper dates but yeah there's nowhere so for those two facts alone that one even atlantis was washed away which is possible because sea levels did rise and even now, you know, we do find evidence of some uh, cities like uh, which were water like side cities, harbours, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, now underwater. Um, but even if it was the people there would have survived, they all would have survived because, you know, it wasn't washed away. You know, we assume it wasn't washed away. Um, again, it could be possible that there was a huge tsunami and that destroyed it all, in which case no one would have survived and then we'd have no evidence of Atlantis existing. So yeah, so that's that's my view on Atlantis. Uh, is that I would love it to be real, but uh, the too, the, <laughs> the academic in me says nope, no, it's just uh, we we made that up. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, you get people uh, you mention Antarctica. Mm-hmm. How can you uh, how can you possibly say that without proof? Well, people, yeah, people want to believe, you know, and, and again, Hancock, I think he did a, uh, he did a book, Fingerprint of the Gods, which talked about Antarctica being mapped without ice uh, because it used to be where the middle of the Atlantic is now, I think, as his view, uh, and tectonic plates shifted really quickly. And I struggle with that. Uh, whilst I'm not a tectonic plate expert, I, and I just, don't feel that is the case. And in fact, many people have just said, actually, that isn't a map of Antarctica. That's a map of South America or, or the Americas. And it's just a rubbish map because we didn't draw maps very well 500 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, it isn't a few thousand year old map that someone's, you know, uncovered. So, yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, Graham Hancock does have some interesting ideas and ideas that are worth talking about, I'm, yeah, I'd rather take a, academic and and you know strict view on them rather than hoping you know that these things are right yeah yeah i suppose it's like uh dig an example far being or zeus being um believing that they were actually real yeah personified um, absolutely yeah it's just uh speculation. Or even jesus you know there, yeah. there's there's hey, no, good shout, mate. Good shout. No tangible evidence that Jesus was a real figure. He, he may have been based on a 
number of real figures to to help create the motifs but uh, whoever there's an actual chap called jesus who was the son of god wandered around uh no that isn't that, that i just do not believe that I mean, there, but although there is some good academic theories you know to, to, to try and prove otherwise based on sort of co coincidental evidence you know just i'm yeah i'm not I'm not convinced. Uh, there's just, you know, there, there were stories of Jesus before Jesus was born. There's so much tempering of literary evidence from the Bible and the Gospels and and other documentation after it. In fact, I've got a good video called the um, the Rain Miracle. And this is quite interesting. So the Rain Miracle talks about Marcus Aurelius in Europe. Uh, his armies were about to be defeated by barbarians, and they hadn't had like food or drink for a number of weeks and they were really uh, low and they they got their priestess to pray for rain and rain came and apparently it washed away all the barbarians and they won their battle okay so and in, in result of this they built a column in rome which still stands showing this happening this this rain miracle now within probably 10 years of that column being built so while some of those soldiers were alive some Christian authors were writing about how it was a Christian priest praying to God to, and because all the soldiers were Christians, that is why that miracle happened. But actually, if you look at all the evidence, um, and someone wrote about this probably about 100 years after the event, uh, based on a copy of a document we've got, we can actually see the priestess was an Egyptian priestess, and they were definitely praying to pray pagan, uh, like pagan gods. Um, and it just gives you a real example that even back then, so, you know, 200, I don't know when it was, 100 AD or whatever, then 100 C, Christians were still lying, even in the lifetime of stories happening, to try and say that their God is the best. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. You're gonna get every um, religious saying that, aren't you, really? Well, yeah, you just yeah, just get it. But I mean, I, I, I'm normally really unbiased, and, and I try to be fair to all religions. But because Christianity is so large, and so many organisations are so massive, I do sometimes end up being a bit flippant about them, because um, it just astounds me. You know, who who really wants to be part of the Roman Catholic Church? When you think about what the Roman Catholic Church has done, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like a religion toxic, mate. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if if you've been, if you've you know committed mass murder of, of women because you think they're witches to to hidden events by yeah. your priests that, that you should not, you know, paedophilia stuff like that. Exactly. Why would why would you want to be part of an organization like that that does that multiple times i mean this is the same organization that allowed six different skulls to be displayed in europe all and said all of them were the virgin mary's head in the middle ages all at the same time so did, the virgin mary must have had me. six heads see you don't read that in the bible no no yeah, I, yeah. I did not know that <laughs> What does she have six heads? No, I didn't. Yeah. I don't remember that Christmas Carol, but um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm I, I not religious it. at all, mate. Yeah. Nor, nor my, but, <laughs> you can't tell. So uh, <laughs> yes, I say it's all man-made, and that's 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 what my Brilliant. stories tell you. Yeah. Or, 
Yeah, the stories are all man-made. They are myth, but myths are based on truths. They're just a way of explaining truths in in an untruthful way because you don't understand how they really happened. Yeah, it's like um, I mean, I, I know I know you were not got much time, like, but just quickly, it's just like uh, like like Lucifer, for example. Oh yes. Right. Well, people actually think that Lucifer existed. Yeah, I mean, if you follow the Bible, you realise that he, he, there, there's no mention of Lucifer in the Old Testament, or pretty much next to nothing. He is a New Testament uh, creation. Or, I mean, he's only created because that would be post Cyrus from Persia. So when Persians invaded what is now Israel, uh, what tends to happen when this happens to cultures is that the less dominant culture takes on properties and beliefs of the dominant culture. So the Jews at the time would have seen that, oh, Persia of a big, strong army. They must have great gods. What gods do they have? Oh, they've got a good and evil god. Perhaps we, we didn't realise there was an evil god. Let's have one of those. And we convert one of our sort of angels into, into that god. Because, I mean, the, the, what the Jews really did was really take their pantheon of gods and turn them into demons and angels. So God just remained a, a monotheistic religion. But actually, if you yeah. read the original text of the Bible, you'll see that God sometimes refers to his pantheon of other gods. And, and God himself has about seven, eight different names at least, um, all referring to previous God names. So, uh, yes, it's, um, as I say, all you, all you need to do is say this isn't a secret. It's just that people just don't know what to read or aren't told what to read or to or can't fully understand how to, in effect, translate you know, what, what is out there. Mate, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, there's some fantastic information out there. Yeah, um, yeah not, not, we just had a little dig at the Abrahamic religions, but just generally about, you know, just about all motifs, you just realise they are just stories we tell and humans are just storytellers, and that's the thing that, that I think we miss today. So I, I mean, I do this for the hope that one day I can work out, you know, did our ancestors have a some way of life that we're missing that made life feel better, have a better quality of life? You know, is there something there? And it, yeah, and what I have learned is that we are just storytellers, and we don't do enough proper storytelling today. We just sit on our own reading a, a page when in you know a thousand years ago a storyteller was acting ritualizing a story to people for it to be remembered you know it's like a mini play i guess a mini monologue um, but we just don't do that today i mean we, we, we swapped it with television and the like but that isn't the same as say being in a you know around a campfire with someone who's telling the story you know when it's at night and you hear the wind and you've got the stars and the moon and you can bring all that in to the story that is that is being human and I, we do, yeah. don't do that enough yeah. uh, uh, when you when you tell the story and you've got a fire there there's a saber-toothed tiger waiting for <laughs> exactly waiting <yeah. laughs> all the bear comes along <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. brilliant yeah. mate brilliant. Uh, uh, just right just one last thing okay mate. Uh, okay Zoroastrianism. Oh yes, Ariman. Sorry. 
Harry Man. Harry Man. Zora. Yeah. Oh, Harry Man. He's a seven-headed dragon. Do you think this is why? And he's looked at as being um, evil, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's why? Like when when we when you mentioned uh, the dragon uh, lord, mm-hmm. as as having like uh, bad. So yeah. So I mean, he he's directly from the Indo-European story. So the Indo-European dragon was called Ingui. And you see Ingui. Uh, you see cognates of that in Vedic, where the Yahi uh, is called, and then so uh, you, and he was a six-head, he's a three-headed, six-eyed serpent. But you'll see it change, and and you'll see this multi-headed serpent in, in say in Persia, and you see those some of the Near East myths. And I think that is a motif that has come from the Neolithic and fed into the Indo-European before sort of flying back out again. This, this multi-headed dragon. So yeah, he's he's just there, and he's he, and it is a cattle raiding myth again. There's an I can't remember the name of the warrior there, but you, you'll find that the warrior's name is uh, cognate with Trito. So where you have Manu and Yemo, man and his twin in the Indo-European creation myth, their warrior was called Trito, and Trito means third. So you have this one twin third motif. And Trito is yeah, cognate with the warrior, say, in Indic and, and Persian myth. And also, actually, you see that in Greek as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely just a, a reflection of the Indo-European uh, so, uh, cattle raiding myth. So if you, if you check out the cattle raiding myths, um, Bruce Lincoln, he's probably got a paper on it. I think he's where I first read about these um, if someone's going in detail, but he doesn't, I don't know if he necessarily goes about all, all the cognates with all the different cultures where the Indo-Europeans spread, but uh, that is where that comes from. That's fascinating, mate. Uh, just, John, could you spell that Ingui? Ingui, uh, I spell it N-G, I don't know how I, I can't, I mean, that's, that's caught me off guard. Uh, sorry, anyway, sorry. In, in we, so he is A-H-I. Ingui is, I think it's N-G-I-N-G-W-H-I. Oh, so it's N-G, N-G. asterisk uh, W-H-I asterisk. Because we don't know how to pronounce proto in the European. We're only having some logical guess. So the asterisk means we think that's how we would pronounce it. So right. N-G-W-H-I. But uh, again, there is, um, I'll talk about it in, I must have something on, yeah, I've definitely got things on slaying dragons, which talk about it as the first dragon slayer as a video, and and it's all spelt in there. And I'd, I'd actually quote text from Zoroastrian and uh, Rig Veda and the like, and even the Greek text. So you can actually see there is a link there. Believe me, I'll uh, I'll have a, I'll have a look on, on your channel. If I can't find them, I'll hit you up. And hit me, please. Yeah, hit me, hit me up and ask questions, and uh, I'll point you in the right direction. Not a problem at all. Brilliant, brilliant, mate. Well, John. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, brilliant. You have just like I know, didn't take much blow in mind, but you know, I've met, we, I spoke to Raven uh, a few times. We mentioned like like dragons, and it's just fascinating to go into the uh, you know the, the the lore of it, especially with somebody of your caliber. Yeah, I was just understanding why they were there. So that's it. And when you understand why they were there, you can then translate it into what you want. You know, are they protecting water? Are they protecting cows? Or are they protecting princesses? And yeah, you know, and things like fire breathing dragons are so late in the day. 
I mean, they didn't happen until the last maybe 3,000 years. So it's, uh, yeah, but we can, yeah. and so you see that in the Bible. We can say there's, you know, dragon slaying in the Bible. Who would have thought that? But it's there. Yeah. Right. That was, uh, that was incredible. Thank you. Uh, Glad you enjoyed was, it. Hope it was worth yeah. the wait. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, would you like to let everybody know where they can hold you, please, John? Sorry, letting everybody know the. Yeah, you just just like like YouTube channel. Oh, my YouTube. Oh, yeah. So uh, I don't do social media properly. I only post on YouTube, really. So my YouTube channel is called Crick and Ford. You'll find it in the description of this podcast, I believe. Um, but yeah, that's me. John, nice one, mate. That was uh, brilliant. Uh, I'm going to stop recording now, mate. This six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.